Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Father, have this service. Would you move powerfully in only the way that you can? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we pray these things in your mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, beautiful worship team. Guys, you can take your seats. I haven't cried in a worship service in a while. I think I need to get down on the floor a little bit more often. But hey, my name is uh, Tim, if we have not... Uh, met before, and if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, um, then yeah, my name's Tim, and I'm, I get the privilege of being the youth pastor here at Kalamunda Church of Christ. Get to work with a fantastic staff here with Joe, Beck, our youth interns, and my uh, my brother James, and um, we're we're in a beautiful season as a church where, if you've been journeying with us, you know um, the last few years has been been rough. It's been a bit tough, and we've gone through through some things to grow as a church. And uh, we're, now, we're now coming to the point where as a church, it, it feels like we have a, big, a strong foundation that's actually built that from here, we can actually start to go out and do mission properly. Not coming from a, a place of, uh, of, of weakness where the foundation is cracked, that as we reach out, we're just going to crack and fall because who knows if your foundation is not quite correct, then as you start to build out, it's just going to It's a church called Looking Out where we're actually going to be looking at the idea of um, our missional partners and, um, and who we're, what we're supporting, who we would like to support, and who is a church we would like to support, what sort of community endeavors we would like to be doing, because the church is not meant to be a church that lives within these four walls, because this building is not church. This is, this is an auditorium. We are the church. And so as a church, we need to be out in our community. We need to be, we need to be looking out and we need to be on mission. So for the next few weeks, um, I believe the next month at least, we're going to be looking at our missional partners. Um, and as Brad said, we have our chaplains coming in. We're looking at the idea of compassion and the beautiful Dave Francis and everything that he does for compassion, um, as well as other partners. Um, and next week, make sure you were in the building because um, the youth team is taking over the worship team. It's going to be such a fantastic time as we lead on from conference. But um, be- being a young man, I've been on some missions in my time because we're talking about missions. So I thought I might start my sermon today talking about one of my missions. Um, and if you don't know, which a lot of you wouldn't, um, for three years of my life from pre-primary to year three, I grew up in the country. So we lived out in a farming community called Coolin where because my parents went out to uh, do the whole country stint as teachers. And those three years, they were they were forming years. They were life-changing years. And um, there are definitely things you cannot learn in the city that you definitely learn out on the farm. And people will tell you that again and again and again. But um, we had, uh, me and Nick had two best friends and they were brothers and they were the same age as us. And um, so what would happen is on the, um, on the weekend, it wasn't a wife swap, it was a son swap. So one of us would come in and then one of us would go out to the farm. Or sometimes all of us would come in um, to the town, because we lived in the town, they lived on the farm, all of us would go out. And when we went out, that was when injuries happened. Um, it's just what happens when you have four boys running around with motorbikes on a farm. But I learned some important lessons. I'd like to share some of them with you if you've never been out on a farm before. I learned the importance of closing the paddock gate behind you. 
Because having tiny legs trying to chase sheep so that Mrs. Randall doesn't realize that you've let the sheep out of the paddock is never a fun exercise. I also learned the importance of um, buying a good tent because camping out in one of the far paddocks, um, being dropped off there so that we camp out because we were, we were survivor men, we weren't allowed our quad bike to come back and having your tent poles snap and your tent collapse in the middle of the night, then having to walk all the way back in the middle of the night, it's not the funnest exercise in nighttime hiking. Um, the other one is don't try to jump a quad bike because um, Mrs. Randall is not at her happiest when she has to figure out how to get a quad bike out of a tree. Um, the true story, you can ask Nicholas, he was there, I got a quad bike in a tree. And the last one is kids are never as hungry as they say they are. And every parent right now is looking at me like, amen to that, amen to that. Because there is, there's a, there's a well-known hack, um, there's a couple kids in the room, most of them are out, okay, I won't spoil the hack for, for all of the parents, some of you, you're getting it spoiled, but there's a, there's a well-known hack. When your kid comes to you and says, mom, I'm hungry! All you need to do to cure their hunger, it's amazing. You just need to say, have a piece of fruit. <laughs> and they're hungry. Their hunger's gone. All of a sudden, they were famished and no longer. Mum would say, have a piece of fruit. And immediately, I'm, I'm not hungry anymore, mum. You always wanted a Tim Tam, but if mum said, have a piece of fruit, all of a sudden, you're not hungry. And Mrs. Randall actually learnt this lesson to another degree. The Randalls and myself, if I ever went over there, were never allowed to complain about hunger after a certain incident because me and Kristen decided one morning we were going on a mission. And our mission was, with our little quad bike, we were going to drive the entire perimeter of the farm in one day. Now, we're talking a proper a sheep station farm, like big wheat and sheep. Like, I honestly can't tell you how big it is. I don't even know the address anymore because it was so long ago and I was too young, so I couldn't even look it up to find out how big the farm is. But it took us all day on our quad bike. So, because Mrs. Randall would never let us go without us being provisioned, we were survivor men. We, we got up at the crack of dawn, just before the sun had rose, before Mrs. Randall was up, and we left a note saying, Mum, we're going, Mrs. Randall, Mum for him, we're going on a mission. We've taken food and water. We'll see you tonight. She had no clue what a mission meant, and we didn't have a phone, so she was never going to be able to find us. So, we, we left. And being the young men that we are, we didn't pack a smorgasbord of food because we needed to be survivors. And so we took ourselves a bottle of water, and because we were also survivors, you, you meant we were, we were on the road, like we were, we were tough men, we'd eat on the road, so we didn't, we didn't eat breakfast, so we'd eat what we'd taken. So we packed ourselves a small jar of almonds, that, that, we packed ourselves a small jar of almonds for an entire day's worth of eating for two young men, <laughs> and it got to 10 a.m. and we were out of almonds. Um, and we still had the rest of the day. It, it was like, we, we, were, we were out till nearly sunset. And so we, um, we, we decided because it was 10 a.m. and we were out of almonds, we ate most of them for breakfast and morning tea, and we, we didn't even get to have lunch, afternoon tea or anything like that. We decided we're, we're out of food. We need to go faster. So we dumped the throttle and went as fast as we could. But who knows, the faster you accelerate, the faster your fuel runs out. And so three paddocks away from home, and when I say three paddocks, it's three wheat paddocks, like we're talking big paddocks. Um, we had to push our ATV the rest of the distance. And we're, it's also like, the you, normally it's nice and hard, but on that certain side of the property up where the road is, it was a bit soft as you pushed it. So we're pushing, absolutely famished, our little ATV through the sand to try to get it back. And that day, Mrs. Randall learned the lesson, boys can run off the smell of an oily rag, like they don't need food. So I think when it comes to my kids in the future and they're complaining, Mom, can I have food? Dad, I'm hungry. 
instead of fruit, I think I'll just offer them some almonds. Because it managed to keep us. But it was two young boys, one big day and one small jar of almonds. We weathered the hunger, the sore joints from riding on a noisy little vibrating ATV all day, jumping out, chasing sheep because we left the paddock door open. We had an ATV this time. It was a bit easier to chase sheep in ATV. And we did it all. You would have thought at 10 a.m. when our food ran out, we'd go home and get some food and then go back out and keep going. But we had a mission. And absolutely nothing mattered but our mission. Nothing mattered but doing our lap of the property. Why did it matter? I have no clue. But it mattered all the same. And we were not going to come back until we had finished. We were either going to die or we were going to finish our perimeter of the farm. And church, today I want to challenge us a little bit. As a church, we have a mission. Now, I don't mean that beautiful statement out there on the easel that as you walk in, you get to read about our church and our mission as a church and who we are, that we're more than a Sunday, that we are focused on discipling the reconciliation of all people and on the next generation. I think that, that's, that's who we are personally as Calamunda Church. But we have the most simplest mission. And everything I think that Jesus, all of his teachings are encapsulated in a few simple words in Matthew that say, make disciples of all nations. That is the mission of the church, of our church. And I'd like to go as far to say as nothing matters but that. Everything that we hold dear pales in comparison to that mission that we were given from God to make disciples of all nations. But being a church with a mission, because we've got a simple mission, it requires that we send out missionaries. And immediately when I say missionaries, who else thought of a guy in some sort of robes, doesn't have to be robes, but that goes overseas to a third world country to do work or to spread the gospel? Did anybody else think that immediately? Yeah? Okay, I'm not the only crazy one. Um, but it's, it's, that's what we think of when we think missionaries. But when you actually look at the definition of missionary, it is, it's a lot simpler than that. Because a missionary is simply defined as someone who spreads the good news of the gospel to people of a different culture. And we find it hard to, hard to justify going overseas. It, it's, it's not the easiest thought process. It's that like I need to go overseas to be a missionary. And so it becomes harder when you've got little kids and when you've got a family. You can't just abandon things and then go overseas. But I think if we define culture a little bit more, because it, missionary is spreading the gospel to a different culture, if we define it a little bit more, it becomes easier again. Because culture is simply shared customs, values, social institutions, belief systems, or achievements of a particular nation, people, or social group in a certain place or time. So the traditional view of missionary is well encapsulated in that view of culture. But I think we can still, we can simplify that even further again. See, culture simply relates to a specific group of people who share values. That there, therein lies culture. And therefore, that means that each and every single one of us can be a missionary and should be a missionary because we are called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to spread the gospel to people who share values. That's as simple as being a missionary is. So as a church, if we're on mission, we need to be willing to be missionaries. If we're meant to be an outward-focused church that is more than a Sunday, we're called to be missionaries. Because Psalm 96 verse 3, it says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all peoples. 
And Matthew 28, 19, where we get the make disciples from, is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you till the end of age. Church, if we are going to be on mission, then we need to be willing to be missionaries. And it's a scary thing because we hear in the news and we've heard about stories of missionaries who have been persecuted and who gave their life for the cause of spreading the gospel. And do you know why that is? Because nothing mattered but the mission. Nothing mattered but making disciples of all nations. Their life, it's mute. They've already been saved. But there are people in this world that have not. And nothing mattered but the mission. And church, as a church, I think we need to get to that point where there is nothing that matters but bringing people to the love of Jesus. Bringing people to salvation. And the interesting thing is, I think some of us get a little bit, a little bit tied down and a little bit confused when the word gospel is mentioned, because it's how do you, how do you preach the gospel? How do you spread that? And we think it's, it's meant for a preacher because they've figured it out. They've done Bible college. But the, the, the story of the gospel is just simply the story of the ultimate act of love and the ultimate act of Jesus loving us. And therefore, the gospel in its simplest form as well is simply love. Showing people that Jesus loves them. Showing people the love of God. And the world will agree over and over and over again. Some of the tradies in the room are about to say amen. But apprentices are more prepared to do their job when they finish their apprenticeship than someone who does a uni degree. The world will agree over and over again. doesn't matter who you are. You finish your uni degree. I just finished mine recently and realized I need to learn how to teach now. I've got all the theory in my head, but an apprentice, when John finishes his apprenticeship, he's going to be ready to go. He knows what to do already because he's actually practiced it. And much in the same way, church, if people hear about the love of God, it, is, it pales in comparison to experiencing the love of God. The only way we are actually going to preach the gospel is by showing people the love of God, by them experiencing it themselves. If they're going to hear about it, it's useless to them because they can hear about love anywhere. The only way they're actually going to get to know the gospel is by experiencing the love of God. And hence, this sermon is called Love Like Jesus. Because I want to explore how we can love like Jesus did within these walls and outside of these walls, especially coming into this idea of mission and being mission-focused. Because it says in 1 Peter 4 verse 8 to 10, Above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So Jesus' greatest mission in this world was not making converts and hence he didn't leave us a blueprint of convincing people of our faith or justifying what we believe. His greatest lesson was love through service. His greatest lesson was love through service. He died on a cross for us, an act of service, an act of love. He washed his disciples' feet. Luke, Luke gave us the most amazing young adult sermon. I believe it's up on podcast, I think it is. Listen to it. Because the, uh, I'm convinced the second greatest act of love that Jesus actually gave in the New Testament was him washing his disciples' feet, a beautiful act of service. God didn't give us a blueprint of how to tell people about the gospel. He gave us a blueprint about how to show the gospel. 
how to live out the gospel, how to love like he did. And unfortunately, in this world, we love to pervert what God does and break it. And we have perverted this idea of love because the pure, perfect form of love that Jesus gives, we don't understand. I mean, we have beautiful forms of love and human avenues of love in the form of familial love or romantic love, but we still can't start, even begin to comprehend the love of God that he has for us. And it's not to say that familial love and romantic love is not a fantastic thing, but it pales in comparison to the love that God has for us. So I thought we, we'd, we'd do a little bit of a study and look at some of the words of love that we used back in Jesus' time to, to help understand the context of the love that Jesus has given. Because there were four words that were used for love. We have love, they have four words back in Greek. The first one was phylos or phileo in some different translations of it. And phylos was familial love. So it's love for your family, love for your kids. And it's not directly mentioned in the Bible at any stage. It's actually, it's antonym is mentioned, astorgis, which, um, sorry, I'm using the wrong one. Storge, storges is familial love. I've skipped, sorry, storge. Storges. And its antonym, Storges, is used in the Romans 1 verse 31, which says to be without love or without familial love. Then there's eros, which is romantic love. And it, again, is not mentioned in the Bible, but we know from other manuscripts that it was used at the time of Jesus and it was one of the Greek translations for love. Then we have phylos or phileo, which is mentioned countless times throughout the Bible, all over, and is brotherly love. And whenever it's talking about love one another, it's usually using the word phylos, which is to love your brother, to love him as yourself. And then the last word that they use for love, which is whenever they are talking about the love of God, is agape, A-G-A-P-E, which is unconditional love, sacrificial love, pure love. And they, they've got this, they, they've, They've coined this word that it's, it, it's made to describe the love of God because none of the other types of love even come close to beginning to describe it. But I actually really struggle with this word because I, I struggle to reconcile the fact that our, our flimsy constructs of language, which if we, if we take it down to its basic roots, our language is symbols, characters or shapes that we've given meaning to. I struggle to reconcile the fact that we could ever describe the love of God with a single word. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like our words are more tokens of meaning rather than exact expressions of substance. And so, if that's the case, I think because our understanding of the highest form of love is pure, selfless, and unconditional, a lot of the time we can stop there and think, yeah, it's pure, selfless, unconditional. That's the love of God. But 1 John 4, verse 7 to 8, where we got the theme for our conference from, actually completely challenges this and I think flips it on its head. Because our conference is God is love. And it's up on the screen behind me. If I could get one, John, the next slide. Because it talks about love is from God. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And so to use the word agape to describe love is to use the word agape to describe God. And I think God is so much more than just unconditionally loving, pure and selfless. Because if God is love and love is God, then 
really, it encompasses more than just the highest expression of selflessness. Inherent in Christ's personhood is every shade, texture, breath, aspect, heartbeat, and meaning of whatever love is. And I think that's why in Corinthians, when Paul talks about what love is, Corinthians 13, he uses a laundry list of words because he can't even fathom trying to describe God as something simple. He says love is patient because Jesus is patient. God is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. It's not dishonorable. It's not self-serving. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It delights in truth, rejects evil, protects, trusts, has hope, and it perseveres. And when we, when we read about love, you can easily attribute all the characteristics of love as characteristics of God. Because God is love and love is God. And the same way, when you're in love, you'll notice that you're going to be displaying the fruits of the Spirit, one of them which is love. But when you're actually in pure love and you are loving somebody, you're patient. You have joy. You have self-control. See, lust brings lack of self-control, but love, it brings self-control. You have right judgment when you're in love. See, if God is love, and I think we, we, can't, we can't even begin to start to describe love as one simple word, agape. Because everything is encapsulated in love. See, when we're displaying love, we're not just displaying love like Jesus or displaying the love of God. We are displaying God because God is love. And sometimes, church, I think we need some humbling because some of you have been walking with the Lord longer than I've been walking. And some of you have been walking with the Lord for a shorter time than my hair is right now. But <laughs> silly joke. But I think we all need humbling. We all need from time to time an accountability booster, an accountability of actually going back to our first love and loving the way that Jesus did. So I'd like to humble us all with two stories today that humble me each and every day that I think about them. And there's two stories about two youth leaders. I've not asked their permission to um, say them, and that's just too bad because they're great stories. But um, the first one is actually about Jono. Was a resounding success. It was fantastic. We've had young people that came to our Who Am I conference, gave their life to God, and now serving as a part of our ministry and are on fire for Jesus. And it's it's just such a beautiful thing. But it was a resounding success due to the grace of God, first of all, but also because we had such amazing volunteers who'd come and help out. We had people from the church who gave of their time on the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday to help out. We had other youth leaders from other youth groups who came to give of their time. And we had our own youth team that always does. But we also had new youth leaders that stepped onto our team just before conference. And one of these was Jono. And we were actually, um, we were talking just before the conference and we're all getting excited about it. And then we realized that there was actually a wage race, which is a mountain biking race. Now, if you know Jono, he's really good at what he does he's great at mountain biking I'm just tooting his horn here but um he's really good at racing and so my brain immediately went when there was a clash I was like oh don't stress about it like you've just stepped onto leadership and I didn't want to put any pressure on I put this filter of oh it's all right don't put any pressure on the new guy just like let him let him ease into it and I was like don't worry about it um like enjoy the race like have fun there's, there's always next year and Jono humbled me in an instant without a beat said no nah, priorities mate and I, I had this filter over my, over my eyes of, oh, you know what, I, I, need to, I need to ease people into it. But 
Jono's priority was simply that young people needed to know the love of God, needed to know the love of Jesus, and that the rest of it, it didn't really matter. Because if people aren't experiencing the love of God, it's all worthless. It's a waste of time. And so my second story goes a little bit the same, but it's actually about Tom, and he's not in the room, so that's all right. He'll hear it on podcast later. But um, we, we have worship services most weeks at um, youth. And in those worship services, the spirit just moves. And we've, ha- we've, we've had young people so overcome by the presence that last year we had a young person overcome to the point that they were just on the floor and they could not get up. And the spirit of God was just holding them in that moment, just doing business to them and do- doing ministry to them. And so they, they, yeah, they were just laying on the floor. And see, Tom got down on their level, laid next to them and just was praying praying with them, praying for them, talking to them, loving on them, helping them feel comfortable. And the rest of us, we, we ended up finishing, finishing youth. We, like, we ran games. The rest of the leaders were out running games. We were meant to use the auditorium. We couldn't use the auditorium because there were still people laying, praying. Um, we went out. We made food. We did all the rest of the thing. And we started packing up. And part of my brain at the end actually got a little bit frustrated because the rest of the night didn't go as planned because Tom was on the floor with a young person praying for them. And it, I was like, oh, you can come help pack up at least. And then in that moment, I felt so ridiculously ridiculously guilty and sad over what I had just thought and humbled to my core because Tom realized that the rest of it is worthless if people don't know that they are loved, that they don't know that they are loved the way that God loves them. See, Tom's priority in that moment was not anything else that we needed to do, our programs or anything. It was that this young person knew they were loved. This person knew that God loved them so much and that Tom loved them so much. And it humbles me to my core to just think about that because I think as a church and as people, we need to get our priorities straight. We need to get back to our first love, our first passion, where nothing mattered but showing people the gospel of Jesus. Nothing mattered but loving them unconditionally. And so coming back to the idea of love, we still haven't got a clear-cut definition. All I've said is that everything we thought about God's love, it, we need a, it doesn't work. We need to go further. And I think that's because we can't, we can't use any combination of all four words to describe God's love or any combination of what we think love is to describe God's love. I think the only way that we're even going to get close is if we take Scripture in its entirety. And even then, I still really don't think we're even going to come close to comprehending how much God loves us and how we need to love like him. But we need to start somewhere. And there are some people in this room who are way further along this train than I am. And that is fantastic because we need people who can teach the younger generations each of the different revelations we've had about God's love. But here's my closest shot so far. And this is what I've learned over the past week about what it means to love like God. Because uh, we start with Corinthians 13. To love like Jesus means to be patient, kind, non-envious, not dishonorable, not self-serving, not easily angered. It means to forgive, to be truthful, to good, to protect, to trust, to give hope, to persevere. It means to be kind, faithful, gentle, to have self-control, to be peaceful, to be sacrificial, to be intimate, generous, prophetic, evangelistic, to be physical, restorative, to be helpful, to teach, to mentor, and actually to be jealous. Oftentimes when we think of jealousy, we think that it's, it's such an ugly word or an ugly emotion. 
But jealousy coupled with trust is actually a good thing because jealous, God is jealous for your heart. He will have no other before him. He wants your heart. See, if jealousy doesn't have trust, then it becomes envy. And envy is a sin. But we need to be jealous of our family and our friends' hearts, that there will be no other king of their heart apart from Jesus, and we will do everything that we can until they come to know the love of God and until they come to know him as their king. Nothing matters. Absolutely nothing matters but that. And so many of you will know I just became a teacher. So the first thing I'm going to do with my first sermon at church, I'm going to give you all homework. So under your, sh- under your chair right now is a little slip of paper. You can grab it now. You can grab it later, whenever. Um, yeah, that'd be great. And this sheet of paper is simply for this. This is homework that I'm not giving that I'm going to check next Sunday or next Monday because this is accountability homework. You need to do it yourself. But it is homework that we're setting now and for the rest of our life because I don't think we can ever come close to even comprehending how much God loves us and hence it's going to take a lifetime to continue understanding. But these are the simple revelations that I've had about God's love just taken from Scripture. And each day that you sit in the Word and you recognize another characteristic of Jesus... I want you to write it down. You can add it to my simple list here. I, I'd encourage you, if you're creative, get creative with it. Take a whole wall up at home. Title it on your forehead. Don't do that. Um, but get creative with it. Make a painting with it. And add every revelation you have about the character of Jesus. Because if God is love and Jesus is love, then his characteristics are also the characteristics of love. And so the more you understand about Jesus himself the more you will understand about love. And the more that we write down, the more time we spend in the Word and go, wow, Jesus is generous. Jesus is blunt because sometimes godly love needs to be blunt. Write it down. And as we learn to embody these characteristics and make the effort to embody them, we will begin to love like God did. So I want to see, get way more creative than a slip of paper. I'd love to paint a whole wall at home just with who is Jesus and in that understanding, what is love? See, Jerry Bridges said, God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does our faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God who is love and it flows to us through our union with his beloved son. And I love that line, our doubts do not destroy love and our faith does not create it. Because who knows faith? Faith is something we have and you persevere with. But you can't just have love and persevere with it. Love takes action. Love requires effort. Love requires work. Because if we were perfect like Jesus, it would be easy to love like Jesus, but we are not. And hence, we need to continue practicing to be like Jesus before we can ever begin to love like Jesus. And as we start to embody who Jesus is, his characteristics, you will notice that love will start to come out of you because for God, it wasn't an effort. It's not an effort to love the way that he loves because he first is who he is. And the more we try to be like Jesus, the more we try to embody who he was, the less effort love becomes. But it takes effort to first take those steps to embodying the characteristics of God. We can't just have love. 
we have to have action. There needs to be movement. And church, if we're called to be a church that's on mission, we will fail if we are not associated with the love of God. And today's biggest challenge, some people are going to feel like I've just stabbed you in the side. But if people can't associate you with the love of God in your everyday life, then you are not displaying it. Simple as that. And it's not to say that you're not trying to, that you're not making an effort. Or it might be that you're not quite sure how, but if people can't see it, you're probably not displaying it. Because people didn't have to look far to recognize that Jesus was love. And if people have to dig to find love in your life, you're not displaying love. And I know that's a, it's a bit of a challenge, and some people, it might be a bit more of a challenge than others. Some people are like, no, I'm good, and that's great. And I guarantee that there are probably people in this room right now that are thinking, well, actually, Tim, it's not part of my personality or my nature to, to be one of those characteristics of Jesus. It's not, I, I'm, not, I'm usually a bit hot-headed, and I, I'm not usually that patient. And to that I'd say, please, stop making excuses for not acting the way that Jesus did. It takes effort. Sometimes it takes change. But if we ever want to be a church that is effective on mission, there's a few things that need to happen. One, the mission needs to be priority number one. The mission needs to be everything. Nothing else matters but loving people like Jesus did. Nothing else matters but preaching the gospel through acts of love, through service. And two, we need to learn how to live like Jesus did. And church, we're not called to be carbon copies of each other. There's no perfect formula for love. Hence, we have a whole book to give us some semblance of an image of what it means to love like Jesus did. But it's no excuse just because we're not carbon copies and we don't have the answer. It's no excuse for us to not love and to not express each of the characteristics that we can identify in Jesus. See, before we can even begin to be a church on mission, a church full of missionaries and be at work in our community, we need to leave our excuses behind and commit to loving like Jesus did. Because 1 John 2 verse 6 says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I think that's a Bible verse that we all need a tattoo on our foreheads. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If our God is the God of love and our God is love, then simply by imitating Christ, we will begin to love like he did. I sat down with John Mez really early on into becoming a youth pastor. And I was talking about preaching and I said, John, I really don't know how to preach well. And I'm taking on this gig. And he said, well, hey, it's okay to be an echo until you find your voice. And I was thinking about that. I actually think it's okay to be an echo of God your whole life. You don't ever have to become the voice because he is the one who speaks. He is the one who convicts. He is the one who loves through you. So to be an echo of Christ, you never have to find your voice if he's the one that's speaking through you. So church, will we commit to being an echo of Christ? 
that every day that we wake up, that we spend time in the Word, that as we have a fresh revelation of who Christ is, a characteristic of the God Most High, that we will add it to our list. And that we will each and every day go through that list and say, yeah, I need to be more patient. Yeah, I need to be more generous. Generous with my time, with my finances. I need to be, I need to be more, more kind to people. I'm too abrupt with them. I'm too stubborn. Each and every day would we commit to that and we, would we commit to making disciples of all nations our priority? Because Jesus' priority was not buying a house, building a house, not buying a car. It wasn't starting a family. It wasn't necessarily raising his disciples. His priority was loving the nations. His, his, his priority wasn't, wasn't to, to work. His priority wasn't, wasn't to, to, to go out and play sports. His priority was loving people. And through loving people, his disciples were raised. Don't get me wrong. It's not all those things aren't bad. And Jesus definitely wanted his disciples to be ready for when he left. That he taught them simply through acts of love and service. That was his priority. So if you've let something else become your priority... I think it's time that we, we reflect, we look inwards, and we challenge ourselves. Because we're going to be useless as a church on mission if we can't love like Jesus did. If we rely on our human avenues of love, we're dead in the water. So hey, could we, um, could we lower the lights to worship lights? And um, I, I would simply, I'd simply like to, to, to challenge us all today. And I'm going to do that by, I'd get like everybody in the, in the place to close your eyes. So everybody around the place has their eyes closed. And I'd simply like to ask the question, is loving like God your priority? Is loving like God your priority? If it's not your priority, then I'd like you to do something for me and simply acknowledge that and raise your hand. If you notice that something else has become your priority, whether it is your business that you need to run, whether it is what your friends think about you, whether it's your school grades, these are all things that need to, need to happen in our life. But they can't be the priority. So is there anything that is not your priority, that is there's more of a priority than loving God? If that's the case, raise your hand. You don't have to scream it from the rooftops about what it is. But if it is not your priority to love others like God did, if that's not your everything, then just pop your hand in the air. Beautiful. You can put all your hands down. If you didn't put your hand up, that's okay. I simply wanted you to acknowledge it to yourself. And so I'm just going to pray a prayer that I'd like us as a church to pray together. And then we're going to worship and I'm going to be down the front. We will also have a prayer team that will be ready to come pray for you. So please come out the front and we're, we're going to pray together and pray over that. Pray a releasing of that and an infilling of the Holy Spirit to realign what should be the priority in our life. But I'm just going to pray a prayer of church. We could, uh, we could pray this together. If you want to repeat after me, dear God, oh, come on. Dear God, I thank you that you died for me. And I'm sorry that I have let other things in the way. God, I want to realign I want my purpose, my everything, to be loving others as you love me. 
Lord God, teach me to love like you do each and every day. In your mighty name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer earnestly and you need some priorities to be shifted, then I'm gonna be I'm gonna be standing right up here at the front worshiping, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna ask our prayer team if you were a part of it, if you could come and worship at the front with me as well. And if you need some prayer, and you just you need something to be shifted, please come up the front for some prayer. We're just gonna pray together, and we're gonna get into worship. But church, it's been an honor to preach this morning. I hope you were challenged, and um, yeah, please go home and do your homework. It's time to learn about Jesus, hey. <laughs>